0: You are listening to the Embrace What Matters podcast. My name is John Mahalik. I'm a seminary trained author and speaker with over 25 years' experience encouraging others in the areas of spiritual life change and authentic relationship. My goal is to bridge the things of eternity with everyday experience. The current episodes in this podcast are sermons that I delivered while pastoring a church in the country of Honduras. If this podcast encourages you and helps you, can I ask that you please write a review and leave a rating? It will simply help more people find the podcast who may, like you, be searching for more purpose and meaning. Thanks again for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. This is kind of week three of a section I'm calling Encountering Jesus. Kind of laying the groundwork for this practical side. What does it mean to experience, experientially walk with God, with Jesus? And so this is kind of the final week for that. And then the, the, the coming three weeks after that will be a lot of the how-to. We're going to be dealing with basics like worship, Bible study, things like that. But practically, how can we live in personal relationship with somebody that's not in the room, somebody who's not physically present with us uh, in the way that Jesus was uh, with his disciples. So this morning, uh, we're going to be asking the question, who does he say that I am? Who does he say that I am? Uh, And those of you uh, who are uh, Bible readers know that this is uh, a play on words for a For a passage that we're gonna actually cover in a little bit. But we wanna know who does he say that I am? That's a question that we need to be asking in our encounters with Jesus and living in personal relationship. Last week we said to have a healthy relationship, I need to have a sense of who I am, I need to have a sense of the person whom I'm in relationship with is. It sounds basic, but a lot of us don't get into a lot of analysis. (laughs) We don't go that deep. We don't have a sense of who we are in relationship to somebody, who they are in relationship to us. So this is a relevant question. Who does he say that I am? He, of course, means God. This is uh, a depiction of of Saul of Tarsus, uh, who most of us know as the Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus. And he has this light show from heaven, many are familiar with, uh, from Acts chapter 9. And last week, uh, the title of the, the sermon was The Fear of Jesus. We fear God, but, but was Jesus somebody to be feared uh, when he was on earth in his ministry? And we, we looked at a, a number of examples of where the word fear isn't particularly used, but the word astonished, astounded was used in regard to who Jesus was. And we don't really have uh, evidence, I don't believe, that uh, Saul necessarily had a personal interaction uh, with Jesus. He probably did, but we don't know. Uh, So this is our first evidence of, of Paul's or Saul's encounter with Jesus, his first time sort of seeing him. And this Jesus is the ascended Jesus. Jesus had gone back to heaven after he rose from the dead. And he is addressing Saul. And so Saul's first impression that we know about is this (laughs) astonishment, this fear. And this is his conversion moment. This is a time where his personal relationship with God really began in force. And then we saw last week that people were amazed by Jesus, but then they started to become amazed by Jesus' followers after the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit came. And so the same thing is said of Saul of Tarsus shortly after this moment in, in Damascus, on the way to Damascus. It says, all who heard Saul were amazed and said, is this not the man who, ma- who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name, the name of Jesus, <clears throat> and he has, not com- has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So shortly after his first encounter with Jesus, this conversion happens to to Saul. And people were amazed by this change in him. It It was pretty immediate. He had gone from persecuting Christians to sharing the gospel And that confounded people, that amazed people. We ended last week with people being amazed by Peter and John, healing a man. And they said, how could this happen? Well, this wasn't so much of a miracle of healing someone. This was a miracle of an absolute change in somebody's character. And people debate back and forth about miracles. Are there miracles today? uh, Healings, things like that. And I believe there certainly are. But to me, one of the greatest miracles of the Christian life that uh, maybe doesn't get enough credit is the change of our character, the change of our heart. <laughs> That's a massive miracle when you think about it. Not all of us go from killing Christians, persecuting Christians, to doing what Saul did, but, you know, my testimony certainly is a miracle. I'm sure if we got down to the nitty-gritty of your testimony, you would would describe a miracle, of transformation. There are amazing changes when it comes to our encounters with Jesus. Jesus, or God, gives us a new identity when we become a Christian. We we get to have a new identity. And, of course, this ties into the, the title, Who Does He Say That I Am?, Very often that identity shows up as a change in name. Now it doesn't happen all the time. We don't have a a direct evidence that Saul, that God changed Saul's name to Paul. However, through the progression of Acts, we see the word Paul used uh, probably all the time, most of the time. Uh, We don't see God necessarily doing that, but it's interesting to know that the word Paul in the Latin means small or small one. Paul, Saul went from this great and mighty place as, as a Pharisee, as, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, to become a small one before Christ. And so whether God made that change or not, there's certainly this progression in the way Paul saw himself in his identity. And the same thing happens with Peter when Jesus first encounters him. He says, you are Simon, the son of John. That was his Hebrew name, and he says, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter or rock. So you've heard me say this perhaps before. Jesus is affirming who he is, and he's saying this is who you will be, right? He's, he's, he's stating a confession of faith about Peter's identity. Peter, as you probably know, means rock. But the, the, the transformation of Peter's character took a lot longer, and really it did for Paul too, but we see in his time with Jesus, the transformation took a long time. It was a long time before Peter started demonstrating this identity as a rock. <laughs> he, was, he was not a rock for a long time. And, but Jesus was sp- sort of speaking this confession of faith, of identity, into Peter's life. He's saying, you shall be a rock he is offering him a new name. And this we see this a few times, at least in the Old Testament. God renames Abram in Genesis 17 to Abraham. He renames Sarai, Abraham's wife, to Sarah. And both of these are related to God's promise for them, that they were going to have a child, and that child was going to lead to generations and to a nation where the earth would be blessed So in that name change, in that identity change, was this confession of faith for a promise that would eventually be fulfilled. And so that's so often what God does with you and me. And a famous one we see in Genesis 32 is, of course, Jacob. And his name is changed to Israel. Israel is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob means heel grabber, deceiver. And, and you can see in, in Jacob's story, he led a life of deception, of selfishness, but God changed his name. Israel means one that, whom wrestles with God, so to speak. And so God changed his name to, to a, a conform to God's purpose for Jacob or Israel. It was a, a, a name that reflected a future promise, that would come to pass in his life, and then the life of many people who would follow Jacob or Israel. God gives us a new identity. However, <laughs> as you and I, as Christians, we struggle with this promise, whether we're aware of it or not. We, we become a Christian. We're, we're told that we're going to supposed to live a certain way. We're told that God loves us. We're told all these things about us, but it is so hard to accept that. Why? A big reason is because we've lived our whole lives in an old identity. We've listened to what the world has said about us. We've listened to what friends or people that we've lived in conflict with or abusive relationships or addictive relationships. We've owned this identity that the world has given us. Some of it is real. Some of it is true. We are born in sin. We we have this sin nature, so to speak. We're going to touch on that. But it is so hard for us to break free of this identity. The record, the recording goes over and over in our head. We hear these things of who we're supposed to be in Christ as a Christian, but we're always like, we just, we feel stuck in who we've been. And we think we're always going to stay that way. It's like the old uh, nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty, right? He had a great fall. He's this egg, if you're not familiar. He falls off a wall and, he, and an egg breaks when it falls. And all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty together again. That's how you and I so often feel when it comes to our identity, we feel permanently broken. There's nobody that can really put us back together again. And so we look, we grow in Christ, we, we, we hear all these things, we make certain victories in Christ, but we always feel stuck, that we're always going to just stay broken. We're never going to get free of who we used to be. We're never going to release ourselves from the old crowd, that kind of thing that no matter how much we might grow, no matter matter how many victories we have, we're always going to stay in that same identity. And that is exemplified very helpfully in many ways by Romans chapter 7. This is Paul speaking, so you can sort of see, even though the victories that he made, he talks about the struggle, the battle for his identity. And you're going to see words like sin and and flesh and things, but I want you to kind of zero in, not just on that, but on his struggle with identity. Romans 7 starts in verse 14. He says, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So he's making a statement, first of all, of identity. He's making a statement. And he explains what that means. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And I don't know if love's the right word, but I love this passage because it so heavily describes the battles that I personally have dealt with. I want to do what God wants. <laughs> I really do. There's something inside me that I want to do what God wants, but I, I always end up doing the opposite. I mean, what a conflict. But notice that he says, I am of the flesh. So that's an identity statement. He goes on, and he, he qualifies this, and it's very interesting. He says... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Now, the language kind of goes back and forth, and it doesn't really fit the categories that my logical Western mind prefer, but you could see the struggle. And I, and I think what he is saying here, although he goes back and forth, he's living in this condemnation, is that it really is not who he is. As a Christian, and some people look at this negative passage and say, this can't be about Christians. I think it is. But as a Christian, he is not his sin. You are not your sin. You are not permanently broken. Because that's the recording that has gone on in my head, in my heart. Right? That I am, this is really who I am. For I know but he says, "For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh." He says, it's not me, but my sin." Now other less literal versions of Scripture, I think the NIV and some others will not use the word flesh. they will use the, the term uh, "sin nature, sin nature. So the battle we, we believe we have is between my identity in my sin and my identity in God. And I have these two natures wrestling with each other. Okay, I think there's some, certain, there's validity to that. We do not have our sin nature erased when we become Christians. It's part, there is a transformation that goes on. But I think it's important to, to understand that Paul is making a very clear distinction here. Even though I feel that this is who I am, it's not me, it's my sin. Even though I feel this is me, it's my flesh. And it's so important to to distinguish that because otherwise you and I are going to live in perpetual condemnation because our identity will always be broken. It will always be sinful and we can never be free of that. He goes on and says, For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. So this is an expansion. He's, he, before he said, I want to do things, but I don't do them. Now he's saying, I don't even have the ability to do what I want to do in my flesh. It goes on, says, I delight in the law of God. Where? In my inner being. So I think he's really getting to the place of talking about that as a Christian, that is the foundation of, his, of who he is, of his identity. His inner being delights In the law of God. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, (laughs) who will deliver me from this body of death? So you can kind of see how he's going back and forth. He doesn't definitively say that my real identity is now Christian, I think he's dealing with that, that gray warfare that occurs inside all of us in saying that some days I just feel like I'm never going to go where God wants me. And I'm permanently stuck. Who will deliver me? Wretched man am I, am I, you know? And the question has an answer. I don't have it here, but he says Jesus Christ. The beauty of Romans 7... <laughs> is that it comes to a place of realness about the struggle that all, all Christians deal with if they are honest with themselves, but it doesn't stay there. It follows with Romans 8. It says, "Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation, right? That's all Romans 7 was about, was condemnation, self-condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, I want to point something out about the relationship between identity and relationship, meaning most of the time, who we are is affected by who we're with. We used to say this all the time in in prison ministry. The, one of the biggest problems guys would have is they'd be in this great Christian program inside the prisons, and then they'd be released, and they'd go back to their old crowd. <laughs> and who they were with affected who they were. But that, that's, that's all, that, that works in both negative and positive ways. Again, you've heard the story, the, the couple that's been married for 50 years kind of looks like each other. <laughs> Over time, somehow they started to look like each other. How did that happen? Right? Who we're with in intimate, long-term relationship affects who we are in, in families, friendships, whatever it is. And so certainly in the spiritual sense, when it comes to God, if we're with Jesus, if we are in Christ, that's going to affect who we are. That's going to affect our identity, But there is a a distinguishing factor that I think I want to point out. I think we, we touched on this last week. When we talked about Peter, people were amazed by Peter and John when they healed the guy. And he says, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk? It is the name of Jesus, that identity, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health. We want to affirm our identity in Christ. However, if you're sort of assuming that that's going to follow along the lines of, you know, the, the self-affirmation movement, I'm good, I need to love myself, that kind of thing, that, that is biblical, However, it can be taken too far. If it's just about me, right, then I'm sort of like, it's like an ingrown toenail. <laughs> it doesn't work, right? It's a little bit gross. But what Peter is doing is he's, he's talking about what he is doing, who he is, and he's saying, this is not about me. This is about who I am in Christ. What I'm doing here is, is, is everything to do with the name of Jesus, Faith in the name of Jesus. You see me doing it, I'm doing the healing, but it's the power of Jesus that's 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 really doing it. We must claim our new identity. The confession of faith that we make that, that gets us saved is is vital, it's important. But we also need to make a confession of faith of who we are in Christ. Right? Our new identity is based on our personal relationship. Our encounter with Jesus. And we get the benefit of the Word of God. The Word of God is, is so helpful, especially in the New Testament, to make this claim on our new identity. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. You know what the answer to the nursery rhyme is? All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. It's not to patch the egg back together, it's to create a new egg. It's to create a brand new egg, right? Jesus doesn't just repair our broken heart. I think he gives us a new heart, he gives us a brand new identity. We are a new creation. Now, that realization, I think, perhaps comes over time, whether it's a a distinct spiritual reality the moment we're saved probably but the the walk of growing in personal relationship with Jesus is is this confession of faith that leads to experiential truth in my life that I am what he says I am we are a new creation and we need to confess that Paul does that himself right we see his struggles in Romans Seven, but then he says in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Now, again, if you're using your Western logical mind, it gets a little confusing. So where is Paul's identity exactly? He's saying it's not I, but but it's the same way that a husband and a wife married for 50 years. They are who they are. They haven't lost their identity. But there's this one flesh thing that happens that changes who they are. So we see some of that weirdness, that, that mystery going on here. Paul knew who he was, but he says, who I am is based on the grace of God. And if I do anything that's worthwhile in this world for God, it's because of God's grace. So it's not downing who we are. It's understanding that who we are has always been meant to have been in the relationship that we have in Christ. That's who we really are meant to be. You are Simon. You shall become Peter, the rock. Paul had to make that confession in his life because you know that he had some hang-ups. he knew how his past could weigh him down, how he could get stuck in his old identity. So, So his confession of faith had to be things like this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. The world has an approach to identity that is different than the biblical model. The world does this. Do, have, be. Do, have, be. I want to be somebody someday, right? We grow up with that dream. I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. But for me to be that person, you know what? I need to go to medical school. I need to get good grades. I need to impress my parents. I need to do all this stuff. And when I do that, I will have what I need to what? To be somebody. To be somebody. That's the world's model. That's the world's journey towards identity. But what happens <laughs> We're climbing the ladder. We're going up. And we don't even notice the people falling left to right around us as we're going up the ladder towards success, towards identity. And those that actually even make it to the top find that the top is nowhere, that the identity that they've achieved is meaningless. They don't even know that until, of course, they get there probably. Probably but we live our lives by this crazy measuring tape (laughs) that is false based on the world's standards that whatever I can do will lead to what I have and that will make me somebody. But the measuring tape never works. We never measure up. We're facing the skyscraper and saying, good luck, get into the top. And so many of us just give up and remain broken eggs. But God has an approach to identity that is a, similar but different God says be have do be have do God doesn't start with what we do in the Christian model God starts with our identity Through faith we become something brand new we are a new creation In that a new identity in Christ because of what he's done I realize what I have what God has given me. And out of that foundation, I act. I do the works that God wants me to do. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. Our identity is the foundation. And and so in our Christian walk, where we say we're saved by grace and faith, and then we spend our whole lives trying to earn our way to heaven... (laughs) We need to constantly, the, the main work that we need to do in our Christian life and growth is confessing our identity and asserting our identity, and we need God's help to do that. So we're thankful for his word. Jesus did this all the time. We touched on these, the I am's of John 8, but, but I, want, I don't want you to focus so much on, on the divinity, the I am, but look, Jesus is, is making statements of his identity. I am the light of the world. I am from above. I am the son of God. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Constantly through the gospels, specifically John, Jesus asserts his identity. There are a lot of purposes behind this, but one of them was because he knew that who he was affected what he had and what he would do as a result but it was also about fulfilling his ministry. For instance, I am from above, John 8, 23. The verse goes on to say, you are from below. (laughs) He's in an argument, a battle with the Pharisees, and their battle is trying to pin him with a different identity, right? You're of the devil or whatever. They were telling him, you know, how often does the world do that to us? How often do we do that to ourselves? This is who you are. This is who you will always be. Jesus said, no, (laughs) I am this. I am from above. Jesus did this very carefully and succinctly. And so we get to the, who does he say that I am? This is from Luke 8 9. Uh, He's talking to the disciples. He says, who do the crowds say that I am? What do they say about my identity? They answered, eh, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, you know, etc. And then he says, well, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, Christ, the Christ of God. So like, again, we said in a relationship, I need to have a sense of who I am, who, who the person is I'm in relationship with. For me to answer the question, who does God say that I am? I need to first answer the question, who do I think God is? Who do I think Christ is? If I don't know that, if I don't really have a really good understanding who Christ is, how am I ever going to know who I am in Christ? Make sense? So we need to understand that. If you don't have a sense of that, you're never really going to understand who you are in this new identity. Okay, so who does God say that I am? That's the question. So we're going to go to the Word of God. And what I want to do is... Uh, Uh, take a break from, from what I normally do during sermons. Uh, Some pastors will be very participatory in their sermons. They'll have you raise your hand. They'll have you dance. They'll have you repeat things, whatever. I don't normally do that, but I'm going to be doing that this morning. And I have a series of, uh, of scriptures, of affirmations, of confessions of faith regarding who I am, who you are in Christ. And I want to, I want to ask a favor. We have 12 to 14 of these. I would love for you to stand and, and repeat what the, what the confession is, and then you can go ahead and sit down. So, in Christ I am accepted. Now, this uh, list of scriptures and affirmations uh, comes from a list put together from scripture by a guy named Neil Anderson, a uh, guy who does a lot of deliverance ministry. And, if, and there's a lot more than what I'm going to share this morning. So if you want the list of this, because I think this is something that we need to do on a regular basis. This confession needs to be made regularly about ourselves, about those we're in relationship with. Uh, I can email that to you. If, uh, on your bulletin, there's a church email. You can request that. So, all right. So the first one I'm going to do. So this is how I want to, want to do this. Just stand up and say, in Christ... I am a friend of God. No, you, you, you go ahead and sit down. I want you to stand up when you, when you do it. At the end, we'll all stand at the same time. So, so I'm a bad instructor. Okay. So so, so one at a time, yeah, I want, I, want, I want individual confessions here. Because, again, there is a difference between reading something, thinking about something, going to God privately about something, between... Publicly standing up and verbally confessing the truth of God about yourself, about the rest of us. This is powerful. And that's why I want to go ahead and do it. So so just one at a time, we'll just kind of go down this list, stand up and say, in Christ, and I want you to include that, because none of this is gonna work if we're not in Christ, right? So in Christ, I am a friend of God. And whether you feel like that or not is irrelevant. <laughs> this is a confession of faith. In Christ, I am a friend of God. You don't have to do the scripture. Just sit down. Okay? So, someone start with the first one. I am a friend of God. Come on. In Christ, I am a friend of God. Thank you. Next. Amen. In Christ, I am chosen by God and adopted as his child. Amen. In Christ, I'm redeemed and forgiven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, so the next section, in Christ, in Christ I am secure. Read the next. All right, someone else, condemnation, that one. In Christ I am free from condemnation. Wonderful. In Christ I am established, anointed, and sealed. Amen. Next. One. In Christ I am born of God, the devil cannot touch me. Amen. Wonderful. In Christ, I'm complete. You're both complete. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. The last one, and you you know this is kind of the overall section that you'll see if you, you see his list. I'm significant. So I'm a new creation. Someone stand up and do that. In Christ, I am a new creation. Amen. I am righteous and holy. Wonderful. In Christ. In Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Not by yourself. In Christ, I am a child of light and not of darkness. Wonderful. Next one. In Christ, I God's to yes. All right. One more. Awesome. All right. Last one. Everybody stand. And we'll start with in Christ. All right. In Christ. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Praise God. Sit down. (laughs) Verbal confession is very meaningful. So we don't always have to do it in church, but it's a place to to model that, right? I'm going to end with Jesus, uh, a portion of his uh, high priestly prayer in John 17. And this is sort of summing up our encounters with Jesus, but also the issue of our identity. He prays for his disciples and also for us. Sanctify them in the truth. The word sanctify simply means to make holy, to set apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We just heard that, didn't we? God's word. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. This is a very important point I want to make concerning our journey in encountering Jesus, in understanding and confessing and walking in this new identity. If my motivation for transformation, for being a Christian, for doing what God wants me to do, for overcoming the challenges of my flesh, is just about me, I'm going to hit a wall. And I personally have hit a wall (laughs) because I don't believe enough, I don't think, in myself, and that's my flesh, to keep on keeping on. (laughs) I'm going to give up. If it's just about me, I'm never going to continue and finish the race to sanctify myself, to become more like Jesus, to live in his identity. I'm just, I can't do it. But... If my motivation is outward, then there is something else, right? When, when somebody becomes a parent for the first time, the common story is, man, I need to really look at my life. <laughs> I need to start living a different way because there's somebody else involved now. And that needs to be our motivation. What Jesus says here is so helpful for me. I sanctify myself. Why? So that they also might be sanctified in the truth. That was his motivation. It was outward. So the, the, the journey that we're on in, in encountering God and belonging to him has to move to the place that this isn't just about me, right? My journey in who I am in Christ, the struggles, the victories, have to be about the fact that God wants other people to have personal relationship with him. God wants other people my family, friends, co-workers, whatever, to live in eternity with him. That's going to be a motivation that will carry me over the hump so many times when I feel like the broken egg, the person that's stuck in the old identity. That's going to be what's going to carry me over. He ends and he says, I do not ask for these only, right? Outward focus. But also for those Who will believe in me through their word, that they may also be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our discipleship, our relationship, our growth in Christ is all very evangelical. (laughs) The purpose is to grow God's family that people believe in Jesus and come to him and join him in the relationship that you and I have so that the world may believe that you have sent me and you see personal relationship tied up very succinctly here that they may be one i and you you and me i want them to be in personal relationship in unity and in intimacy the way you and I are father and that needs to be our motivation too it's not just about making myself a better person it's not just about reducing the problems in my life i work and move towards encountering jesus and transformation in him because i want to enjoy the beauty of intimacy with god and knowing that intimacy i want to pass that on to invite others to enjoy that as well that's the motivation. My identity is so much tied up in who I am in Christ. I realize what I have as a result of my identity in Christ, and that is the foundation that carries me out and empowers me to do what God wants me to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful and grateful and humbled by your, your presence both through your Holy Spirit in the room today, but through the power of your eternal word and the power, the life-changing power of confessing your word to our minds and our hearts. Lord, so many of us in the room have struggled, are struggling, will struggle with who we are. Are we worthy? Are we capable? And we'll live so often in the place of Romans 7 and just feel eternally, permanently broken. But Lord, the miracle that brought light into darkness in Genesis, that brought Jesus up from the dead at Easter, the miracle that comes through the cross, that same miracle is available when you call us by a new name and affirm as a confession of promise that we can live a brand new life, that we can become a new egg. (laughs) And our only job is to confess that and to lean on you and to encounter you and be amazed by you such that others can see the glory and the beauty of intimacy and personal relationship, and they will want what we have as well and who we are. I pray for these things for a great week in the name of Jesus. Let me close with Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you are Christ's, that's your identity, then you are Abraham's offspring and you are heirs, according to the promise. So live your lives, go out this week and affirm that identity, understanding that you are an heir according to the promise and live a life of promise. Have a great week. This podcast is produced by Embrace What Matters Ministries and is available most anywhere podcasts can be found. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and please leave a comment or send me an email. To learn more about this ministry, my devotional book, and other writings, please visit EmbraceWhatMatters.com.